Okay, so we'll start by thanking our sponsors for the month, Helena David Brenner, sponsoring the merit and protection of Tovia Ruvain Ben Chaya Hadassah, serving in Aza, and Miriam and Avram Deutsch in honor of 30 years of Aliyah. Wow. Really amazing. And uh, thank you also to all the weekly sponsors, uh, David Alana Singer, in memory of David's mother, Celia Singer, <coughs> Ben and Barbara Selsky, in honor of Tefer and Liba's birthdays, um, and uh, Zev and Jody Stender for the Fushlein Mafega Golda Batova by the Schultz and Rosen families, in memory of Rosa Bat Itamar on her second year side, uh, by Michael Levy, in memory of Vincio and Svia Cohen, uh, and by Tova Domnich, in memory of Tova's father, Melvin Stern. By Sandra Hersko, in memory of her husband, Gabriel Hersko. And uh, okay, so thank you everybody for joining. So it's amazing, it's, it's really unbelievable. When you're learning these chapters, it's, it's, it's more connected to what we're going through now than the newspaper. I mean, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. Um, I, I don't know how anyone goes through these days without learning learning the story of David HaMelech because as we talked about already a few times but it's always worth remembering when we talk about David HaMelech we're talking about Am Yisrael just as we say that Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov they showed us the way you know Avram went to, to Egypt and we went to Egypt and so on and so forth the same is true of David HaMelech um, the, absolutely true right? he is the windy path to redemption and the final Geula, which is his son, which is Shlomo and the third Beit HaMikdash. That's the, the goal. But we're on the way there. And so David, everything we're learning about David, we're really learning about ourselves. So the, the way we left things was, was uh, you know, David was uh, running away from Shaul. And these next few chapters describe Shaul's attempts to capture David, together with the help of locals who were ratting out David's location. Um, and it's really, you know... It's a, it's a hard question we have to ask ourselves how Shaul, I'm sorry, uh, no, that's not it, this is it, how Shaul could go from being such a holy person, and he really is, Be'etzem, in essence, a holy person, into a rodef, right? Someone who's trying to murder an innocent man. Uh, we saw, we, we spoke the last few weeks about what happened in Nov, but it, it's really, really painful to see. So the Gemara, just as like a little bit of an insight here, uh, the Gemara says, Tanya Amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Parachia. Rabbi Yeshua ben Parachia said, "Bitchila, at first, Kola Omer Alela, Ani Koftov and Notno Lifneyari." At the beginning, when people would say to me, "Like, take up the honor. I should be the Rosh Yeshiva. Or I should be to have this important uh, title." I would, I would, my my reaction would be to bind him and put him in front of a lion. What are you trying to do to me? Right? It's like uh, no Jew, good Jewish boy should be a rabbi, right? Like, what are you trying to do? You're going to offer him up as a sacrifice to the community, right? But then, ata, but now that I, you know, eventually did take the position, kola omer li raid me men. If anybody would tell me to give up my position, anima tilalav kumkum shalchamim, I would pour over him a kettle of boiling water. Meaning, before I had the position to push me into that, you know, it's a, I don't want anything to do with that honor. But once I have it, I don't want to let go, right? And I, which is so honest. That this is part of the beauty of, of our rabbis and just the Jewish people in general, how honest we are. Um, you know, so, so he says, and where does he learn this from? From Shaul. Sharei Shaul barach mimena. When Shmuel wanted to make Shaul the king originally, what did he do? He ran and he hid by the vessels, right? He was hiding. But David. But once he was already king and he thought David was a threat... <coughs> Right, he was ready to go and kill David in order to hold on to his malchus. Right, that and and I think we all have to look at ourselves that way. You know, it, sometimes it seems so clear from the outside. You know, when we're not in a position of uh, of a power, importance, or you know, but if we were in that position, it wouldn't necessarily be so easy to let go. So maybe we can have a little rachmanus on Bibi, you know, for not being <laughs> ever able to let go. Right, now we right we can understand. Right, they're actually it's something worth thinking about. Probably could do a whole sheer. Is Bibi Shaul in certain he didn't ways? Shun the honor first. He what? He didn't shun the honor first. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so Kalvachomer, he's not going to let go. Kalvachomer. Um, okay. So, but while Shaul is kind of descending into this pit of darkness, David Hamelech is growing into the leader and the king that 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 he's meant to be. 
So like we see as, as the light, you know, the darkness is overtaking Shaul, the light is uh, growing around David. So let's start with number two. So Vayagidu David Lemor, they came and told David, there are plishtim fighting against Ke'ilah, and they're robbing the, 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 the Jews there. Okay? They're not killing them, but they're robbing them. So, David So, David goes and asks Hashem, Should I go and, and, and kill these plishtim? Go and do it. And save Ke'ilah, the town of Ke'ilah. Now, whose, whose job is that, really? Shaul. Shaul, he's still the king. It's, it's, it's crazy, right? But what's he been... Who's there? Is this the people that came? Right, there? it seems to be some people came and told him, right? So, Shaul, right, Shaul's still the king, right? But what is he busy with? Chasing David. <laughs> so he's not thinking about Ke'ilah, which is, which is crazy, right? I mean, think about what was going on here. Right? All the people chasing the Jews, chasing each other and yelling and screaming, and nobody was paying attention to the border. Right? Mm-hmm. You see why this is like so, so relevant, right? So the men of David said to him, Here we are, we're in Yehuda, and we're afraid. Right? We're, now, even though this is really David's area, nevertheless, it's part of Am Yisrael, the, the 12 tribes, and, and Shaul could come get us at any moment. Now you're telling us not only should we be exposed to Shaul, we should go and t- fight another country, right? Where there's 400 of us here. What do you want? What do you want us to do? Right? This is crazy. So David So David goes back and asks Hashem again. God answers. Go and and down to Keilah and fight. Because I'm going to deliver the plishtim into your hands. So they go and they took right there. First of all, they took all their cattle and they killed a lot of them. And David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Um, then we find here, El David, Now, what is this telling us? That Eviatar, the son of Achimelech, right? Remember the Achimelech who was killed from Nov? The whole family was killed. So he came with the Ephod, right? It's unclear. He said it like, came to him. He fled to David in Keilah. But it's a little hard to understand because it seems like David was already asking the Ephod in order to get... How is he getting messaging from Hashem without the Ephod? Okay. So, uh, but, but very, very interesting, right? What, what's the, the significance of this defense of Ke'ilah, right? And, and why, you know, why is this so important? Um, it's, it seems to be, when you read this, right? Because then it goes on to other topics. This is like one of those things, if you were doing Nach Yomi, right? You would be, uh, you just blow right through it, right? You're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Oh, should I go kill them? Okay, they were burning some, some barns. I'll go kill them. I'll protect the people. Then he moves on, right? Eh, right? There are better stories in this in Tanakh. But in fact, right, when this is the beauty of going a little bit slower, this is actually incredibly important what's happening here. Incredibly, incredibly important. How do we know? Because the Gemara tells us so. Okay, there's the Gemara in Erevin. They came to David and they said, Right, this is all quoting the, pas- the, the Pasuk here, that they're robbing the threshing floors. So Tana, So Ke'ilah was a frontier town. It was a border town. Right, if anybody's thinking about border towns now, it's us. Right? Now, they only came for the sake of, uh, of, of plundering straw or whatever, like whatever they could take from the threshing floor. Right? Because if it was not that, if it was actually saving lives, if people's lives were in danger, would this even be a question? Right? Would David have to go and ask a few times? And the guy, I mean, I would think that these men would understand. You've got to save... Remember, this is, you know, it's probably the tribe of Yehuda. They're, they're in Yehuda, so they're going to the border. It's their own tribesmen, right? It's their own, their own shaven. So lives were not in danger, but it was really just a, a financial thing to save, to protect them. Um, right? That's why the Pasuk makes it very clear that they're only robbing the threshing floors. The Gemara continues, Amar of Yehuda, Amar Av, Nachrim al ayarot Yisrael, so Yehuda says that if foreigners are, are besieging Jewish towns, 
then you don't, meaning it doesn't, meaning they're just besieging. They're just outside, right? They're uh, gathering at the gates, so to speak. Um, but if they're not actually attacking, so then, you know, wait till after Shabbos to go uh, slaughter them all, right? There's no reason to go and do an attack at that moment. Now, what is this referring to? When they're coming, you know, to maybe just for, for money, right? If they're coming to, and you can tell that there's people, there's a group of plunderers that are, gonna, that are kind of gathering outside of the gates in order to come and plunder, plunder Israel, so then you can wait. But they're coming for, you know, to kill people. Of course, you run out with your guns. Right? You and you try to save people, which is exactly what happened a few weeks ago. However, none of this applies. This whole, this whole halacha is irrelevant when we're talking about a border town. Right? If they're, even if they're not coming for money, but they're only coming... Sorry, they're not coming to kill. They're only coming for money. If it's a border town, so then you go out and you kill them. A border town is a different rule. On the border, you always have to go and, and, and kill your enemies. You don't wait. Doesn't worry, don't worry about Shabbos. Doesn't matter even if they're only there for financial things, right? To steal your money, right? Doesn't matter. You kill them. Right. So if you like, this is what Tosvo says in the next source. Right, so it talks about the mukhacha milta. This is like halfway through number four. I mean, the kamer no chamim So when we're talking about keila, the karile milchama, right? Because there, it, it, even though it's only financial, it's a milchama, it's a war. Umasar David right? Meaning David risked his life for their money. Why? Because it's a milchama, because it's a border town. It's not, this is not just about uh, stopping a couple of robbers who are going to take. Uh, you know, who, who are going who to steal your new CD player if it was 30 years ago. I couldn't think of a modern example, right? Because in that case, right, even there, if they're only coming for, fin- for financial purposes, right? We have to violate Shabbos. So Rav Malamid, um, and it's, it's actually wild because this is, meaning this is so, this is our situation in the months leading up to October 7th was precisely this, right? And I happened to be learning this Sefer of Panine Halacha, this particular Sefer, and this Halacha during the summer as these things were happening, right? What was happening during the summer and over the last few years that people just stopped paying attention to? Are these balloons, incendiary balloons, right? Destroy, attacking the crops, right? The threshing floor of the people of the South, now, what should we have done? What happens when they're attacking the threshing floor of the people of the south? The halacha is on Shabbos, you fight back and you kill them. Not that you ignore it during the week, but no, even on Shabbos, you fight back and kill them. So says Ramalamid, the rabbis understood with their wisdom that if you allow these, go- these goyim right, to, to come after you, even if it's only for straw, and the areas that are by the border, then we lose our deterrence. And then the taiva, right, of, of our enemies only gets, grows greater because they see, well, we did this, they didn't fight back, so we, we'll do something more, right? And that's why, that's why it's pikuach nefesh to stop them from burning a field. On Shabbos, you have to do it. Because if you allow them to burn the field, then they come over and they, and they slaughter your babies. Because then they, they have the, right, the, the arrogance then to come and to, to put all of our lives at risk. Therefore, they established this halacha. You have to put our, our, our guys' lives in danger. And even on Shabbos, so if it was somehow, there, you know, it was somebody who was not near the border and some Israeli Arab was going to burn somebody's uh, field in the middle of the country, so maybe we wouldn't go and do it on Shabbos and start a war on Shabbos with that guy. We'd wait till Saturday night. But when it comes to, when it comes to the areas near, near Gaza, right, you can't wait. On Shabbos, 
Right? That's why he says it's forbidden to be mevater, to just let them, you know, run roughshod over any area of Yesha and the Golan. And this is why, right, I, I, I believe, right, when they were, when our enemies around us in Efrat were, do you remember this? This was only this past year. They were, they were illegally planting and trying to grab land around Efrat, that it's permissible to violate Shabbos, right? We, all we did was go and uproot and pull out those trees, people were doing that, right? The things that they, the vineyards, the things that they were planting to try to, to, to claim the land. Right, so planting a Shemitah, and you could do it on Shabbos, and according to, according to the halacha, you frankly could probably declare war on these people on Shabbos, although Am Yisrael doesn't seem to have the, uh, the readiness for that just yet. used to say that, like, he was a scout in 48 and 56, and they were told that if an Egyptian shepherd came over the border saying he was looking for his sheep, Sure. Right. Well, that's actually, I mean, you read the history of, about the Fed. You know, we just had, we were so much weaker then, had so much, so many fewer soldiers that it was like they ran roughshod over, like they just, when they just crossed the border, killed men, women, and children. I mean, there's like, we just don't remember because it was that long ago. Yeah. And even if some of us here were alive, we were kids, right? So we don't remember. But if you read the stories about these things, it's, it's as sick as, and, as the worst of the Intifada and as what happened a few weeks ago. I mean, we just, it's, only, it's only less painful to us because just like 1929 is less painful to us because it was longer ago. Um, so, Now, all these you know, military experts and generals today, they say, If we leave them alone and give Hamas money, they're going right, to bring us true peace. Maybe we might think, you know, that uh, the times have changed. Maybe now retreating or allow, allowing them to burn our fields by the, uh, by the border is, is, does not cause any problems or put our lives in danger. But most of the generals understand that it does put us in danger. We have to look to Chazal. I don't know. I think he, he wrote this a few years back. So, you know, unfortunately, most of our generals were not on top of this. And had we been paying attention to Chazal and Rav Malamid, we'd be in a much better place today than we were, um, you know, than, than we were a few weeks ago. Right? So here, you know, everything that happened there, giving over Gaza in the first place, and, and then allowing them to destroy fields and, and to, to do all these kinds of things, come up against the fence, right, and to, to get close to our... So all those kinds of things, every one of them, we learn from David HaMelech that you have to go out to war preemptively to put an end to it. Well, that we learn from the parak that we're learning this week. Talk about, talk about uh, relevant, right? It's kind of unbelievable when you think about how relevant Tanakh is to us today. Um, so, you know, in this, in this vacuum, David steps up and defends the border instead of Shaul, um, right? Which Shaul is not grasping. He's, he's completely, you know, absorbed in his jealousies and internal politics, Right, and he's missing, you know, what's happening with our enemies all around us. Now, what's interesting though is that is that if you look closely back at number number two, look at the difference between look at Bet and Dalid. Right, what's happening here? Right, Dov, right. Uh, David said, "Should I go and and attack the Plishtim?" Hashem says, "Go," and David's ready to go. But his men are afraid. Right, They're, people are passive. Right, think about this. Can we honestly say that, that the great majority of Israelis before October 7th would have supported an attack on Hamas because they were burning our fields? No. no. Okay. David is one man. His 400 men don't want anything to do with it. They don't want anything to do with it. Right? This is just as important a part of this story. Of this story. Isn't that amazing? Right? We can't overlook even one pasuk here. His men, and these are the crazy guys that we talked about last week, right? These are the guys that I would have liked to hang out with a little bit, right? These 400, like, wild men. And even they thought it was crazy. David, you're going to go? Right? Now, what's amazing here also, he's not yet king. And yet he's taking it upon himself. This is his first act as king. Right. 
And he, but, so he is, but he isn't, as we're going to see, you know, like he's, as Avigail, we'll talk about next week, you know, tells him, you're not king yet, right? <laughs> you're not, you're not actually king. So now Shaul wasn't doing it, but it was still, but it was, so it was appropriate for David to go and to, to take, vent, you know, to, to stop this from happening. Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say that we should have, you know, people take the law into their own hands. That, that would require a major posek, you know, we can't take that from learning a pasuk of Tanakh. But what it does tell you is that it highlights the tension and the problem here, that when a government is not defending their border, right, it, it, people have to do so. I, I remember it was in Marilyn and Josh Adler. They were telling me uh, about how it used to be here, right? Years ago, on a bus, you know, through Beit Lechem, um, before there was the, you know, before there was the highway, and like, you know, some kid, uh, Arabs started stoning the bus. They stopped the bus, and all the guys ran out and chased them. <laughs> And went after them, like with their guns. It's crazy. Can you imagine that today? Right, we can't imagine, right? But those guys, I mean, that, that was an, essentially, the, if the government wasn't doing it, it was, that was the David Melech, right? And again, we have to be careful. I don't, we're not going to get arrested, you know, for, for calling, calling up people to do these things. But I think that it is amazing that we're finding the same problem and the same tensions here in Tanakh, right? But there's, there, there's, uh, there's more here, right? There's more here. Um, if we look at number, number six, the Barbanel tells us, David right? they were like very turned off by this and, and afraid. Right? They were, it was already terrifying for them, 400 men in a cave, right? Shoal and all of his professional soldiers, right? He had a whole professional, it wasn't just the whole nation that, that comes to the, to the wars. He had several thousand professional soldiers so they were not only were they outnumbered, but they were outclassed militarily. They had no chance, right? Lama yistak nu od Now you're going to start to pick a battle with a foreign country. So David shaved atam. So David already knew what Hashem wanted, and he was ready to go. This is the greatness of David. But in order to calm his people, he goes back to the Urim v'tumim a second time. Right? Because he needed to, to calm these people. Now, if you look at the Pesukim again, right, when it comes to David, he just says, what is your will, Hashem? Hashem says, go and fight the Plishtim. Hashem doesn't give him any guarantees of victory. Hashem doesn't give him any guarantee that he's going to come back, right, that he's going to survive. But the second, but he doesn't need that. For David, I just, I just go where you, where you need me to go. But when it comes to the, the, the second time here, Right, what happens? Vayomer, right, Hashem says, Kum raid ke'ila, go down to ke'ila, ki'ani notenet plishtim biyadecha. You're going to win. I'm going to put the plishtim in your hands. Why? Who needed to hear that? The soldiers, right? So you see the difference between David and, and, and his men. And this really, there's something very powerful here, right? A, a true Evet Hashem isn't looking for guarantees. And this is something that I, you know, maybe we don't like to think about too much, but we can... We can't hear because there's no children in the room, right? We all chose to live here. There are probably other places to live where we could still pat ourselves on the back for being here in Israel that maybe are a little bit less, you know, scary in certain ways. And there are probably some, and there are plenty of places we could go. There would be even more, right? But, you know, are we here? Like, we don't, do we have a guarantee? I'm not sure that we have a guarantee. It's true. No, it's true. It's true. So I think, you know, I think, but I think real, so real bitachon, David is teaching us, is not, and, and there's a whole sheer here to, to be given, but uh, I remember there's a book that, my, that we got from my girls, like it was like one of the, a from me girls book, which is nice because most of them are boys, you know, and I had all these girls. So I, and I found one called Rena's Rainy Day. Unfortunately, it's like heresy, this book, you know, I mean, it's, it's very cute. But like everything, everything goes wrong at the beginning and everything works out perfectly in the end. And there was a reason why everything went wrong and it was also perfect and clear and beautiful at the end. Now, in a certain sense, that's true. But Hashem has a plan and there's a reason for everything, but it's, it doesn't work, life doesn't work that way, right? And, and there's no guarantees that, that it's gonna be, everything's gonna be perfect, right? And so we know that, we all know that it's in the back of our minds, so I apologize for bringing it up. But, but, it's, uh, but, I think, but I think that's one of the teachings here, the difference between David and his men, right? And, and David did not require that. And I think, 
any of us who come here, we're, it's, it's a little bit of the Bechina of David HaMelech. I'm not saying we are David HaMelech, but in a sense, we are, right? If we are meant to be trying to be like David HaMelech in our way to Geula, you know, by, by being here and not, and not demanding from Hashem, you know, guarantees, I think we're doing so. We're willing to fight for Hashem without any guarantees. Um, you know, and so maybe that's you could say about all of the Jews of uh, Yehuda and Shamron, right? You could say the same thing. They're, they purposely moved to a place that's more dangerous. Or all of the Jews who moved to the south, right? I mean, to think about these, you know, not living in, the, in, this, in what's perceived to be the safer centers. Okay. So... David is constantly consulting the Urim Vitumim throughout his life, right? Which is far more than any of the kings that follow him. Um, it's very rare after David Amelech to even find the Urim Vitumim again in, in all of Tanakh, right? It's like it's kind of they they're really primarily used during his time and his reign. So first of all, what were the Urim Vitumim? So to make it easy for us, I just went on Aish.com. Number eight, and you can you can kind of skim through here, but it, it refers to a single piece of parchment that had Hashem's name inscribed on it, the Yud Kevavke, and you know that was put inside of the Choshen, the breastplate between the folds, and then on the outside were the four, you know, the rows of the precious stones, each one representing a different tribe, um, and so the the Kohen Gadol was able to communicate with Hashem through this. Right? There's a there's an element of prophecy here even if it's not as direct in the sense of Hashem speaking full sentences, but rather there's a message that's coming through the Urim Vitumim. Uh, it was only used for national matters. You didn't go to the Urim Vitumim to find your, uh, to find your goats that were missing, right? Like, you know, like whatever, like, like Shaul, you know, like he, you could talk to the Navi, but the Urim Vitumim were reserved for national, national concerns. Um, and the way it would work is that certain things would light up, right, or, or jut out or arrange themselves somehow, we don't really know exactly, in a way that could be interpreted by the people who are, who are, turning, to, who are turning to the Urm Vitumim, the Kohen Gadol, together with the king, with David HaMelech, um, you know, would shine in certain ways. So Urim Vitumim, Urim is, is Leha'ir, to shine, and Tumim is to make whole, that it's uh, to make complete. Because all of it, everything would come out true and complete. That's from the Gemara. This is a good summary. I didn't want to do a whole shear on the Urim Vitumim, but I figure if we can, it keeps coming up in our stories, we should understand a little bit about the Urim Vitumim. But, but certainly something that uh, is important to note is that it didn't work for just anybody, right? You could have several people seeing the Urim Vitumim, but looking at it physically, but only certain people would see the messages that came from it. Like Ellie misinterpreted it. Right. Exactly, exactly. So, I, I mean, I think we have a, there's a similar idea, like the, the, uh, the Piazetzner Rebbe says that, you know, like if you're reading a Sefer and a certain line jumps out at you and, and totally makes your heart, you know, explode, you know? Like when you sometimes occasionally you read a line that just like makes you like, you know, shiver, right? And then you tell your family and nobody cares, right? <laughs> right? Sort of like my general Friday night experience, right? It's like, that's why I do this. This is actually therapy. Because nobody cares about anything I'm saying on Friday night or Shabbos day or pretty much any other time of the week. Um, right, but, but, but the truth is it's supposed to be that way, right? Because a line, something that jumps out at you, it was meant for you. And it wasn't meant, it's like somebody else looking at the Urim Vitumim, but they didn't ask that question. It wasn't meant for them, right? It, it only is meant to speak to you. And so it makes you feel better that it wasn't like you weren't missing something. It's just that Hashem was actually sending you a unique message. It says, it's the 400 men who are they might have gotten a different message or, or no message at all. Right. That's, I, I, it's very interesting what exactly went on here. And, and were they part of this second asking? You know, or or I, I doubt it. Meaning David, they're not, they weren't on that level. David is going with the Kohen Gadol and asking. But the first time he doesn't even think to ask you know, about what, what the outcome will be. Because David is purely, right? I mean, a guy who runs into battle as a teenager against Goliath is not thinking about his own safety. Right? That's not his primary concern in life. So he didn't even think. It was only once the men showed their lack of faith that he had to go back to, to a Kaddish Baruch which is really, really something. Right? Um, the Gemara and Sota, right? this, this tells us you know, that, that specifically the, the level of David HaMelech, right? it says, Mishemetu Nevi'im Rishonim. Once the, the early Nevi'im died. Now, who are these early Nevi'im? It says, Rafuna, David, Shmuel, and Shlomo. So, Mishemetu Nevi'im Rishonim, Batalu, Urim, Vitumim. 
So basically, this lasted for, uh, this was essentially used by David and then Shlomo a little bit, and then it was ended. Right? This is, there's such a level that's required here for the Urim Vitumim. Um, you know, this is like, it's because it's it wasn't a technical act. You could have the physical Urim Vitumim, but if, it, if you don't know how to listen to it or to absorb it, if you're not capable of, on the level of understanding its messages, then it's, uh, it's not going to work for you. Um, now, next source here is kind of, continue the parak. It's interesting. Right, so Eviatar he came with the ephod, and so so we see what happens here. Shaul kills the Ko, the Kohanim of Nov, and so what does he do? He sent, he essentially loses any connection to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, because which is represented by the ephod. That connection goes from Shaul to David, because the one Kohen that survived took it with him, and he becomes the Kohen Gadol. Now, Shaul heard, was told, that David came to Ke'ilah, doing the job that Shaul should have been doing. Ah, Hashem has delivered him into my hands. He's shut in by entering into a town with gates and bars. Like, there's probably no easy way to get out of there, right? I guess it's on the border, and for whatever reason, I don't know exactly the, the topography of Ke'ilah, but if David is there and he comes and gets him, there's no way for David to escape. So what happens? Vaishama Shaul at Kol Ha'am. So it's a very strange word, but he summons, it's at, right, it uses the word Shama for summoning all the people to go to war, to go down to Ke'ilah. Vaida David, and David knew Ki'alav Shaul Macharisha that Shaul was uh, planning evil against him. And he said to Eviatar, you know, let's go, bring, bring forth the ephod. And again uses it. Vayomer David, Hashem Elokei Yisrael, Shamoa Shama Avdecha. I have your servant. I have heard. I have surely heard. Right? That Shaul is coming to, to Ke'ilah to destroy the city because of me. Will the men of Ke'ilah, you know, give me over to Shaul after I just saved them? Uh, will Shaul come down? What should I do? So Hashem said, Ye'raid. He will come down. So, and David said, and will the men of Ke'ilad, you know, turn on me? And Hashem says, they will. So, David now it's Keshesh Meodi, she's up to 600. They left Ke'ilad, and they, they just ran, right? They had to get out of there. You had to get, right? It, this was, uh, I think, I think about, about George Washington, right? The great escape. Right? You remember the great escape from New York? That uh, had George, uh, the, the Revolutionary War could have ended very quickly. Had, had the British been able to capture George Washington in, in New York, but he was able to escape and get down to New Jersey, right? And then, uh, and ultimately, right, he has that whole, uh, I think it was like on, on uh, December 25th, he did that nighttime raid against the Hessian soldiers, right? And he was able to come back and fight and attack that way. But that was only because he survived and was able to just get out in time, right? A lot of the middle of the night escaping, and that's what kept the Revolutionary War going. Right, so David Amelech is in a very similar similar situation here, um, and he gets out just in time. So then Shaul heard, or once he got out of that that place Ke'ilah, where he wouldn't be able to escape from, that I'm not going to chase him into the desert right now because I don't know where he is in the desert. There's nowhere to go. Um, but what's interesting here is that the comparison, or it's very clear what what Shmuel Hanavi is doing. Right, he uses the word vaishama shaul at kolaam, the word of hearing, but here it means to summon the people, but he uses the word shama. And then David says the word shamoa shama twice, right, a couple of psukim later. Right? What's that about? Right? It's a very strange word, right? Because Shaul is hearing one thing and David is hearing something else. Shaul is hearing Lashon Hara. Right? There's a lot of Lashon Hara in this, in this time period. Right, all through these next few chapters, it's all Lashon Hara. Everybody ratting out David one place after another. That is what Shaul is listening to, Not, and also the Lashon Hara of people telling him that David is rebelling. But David's not rebelling. He's just he wants to he wants to be at peace, right? All of this Lashon Hara, and what is David continuously listening to? The Urim Vitumim. He's listening to Hashem. Right, the comparison of the different listenings that are happening here. Are we listening to man? Or are we listening to Hashem? Right? Shaul's you know, fatal flaw is constantly listening to people. 
That's how he messed up with Amalek, if you remember, right? He was worried, what are the people going to say? What are the people saying? Right? This is, it's a real problem, right? Whereas David, his ears are always attuned above, right? Not always, not worried what everybody here is going to say about him. Right? It says Rav Moshe Vigdor Amiel. He was one of the great early religious Zionist leaders, the chief rabbi of Antwerp, I believe. Um, and he's like in all the old Hamizrahis, like from 1920s. You know, he's like, he was a really um, harsh, but in a good way. Like he was sharp. He was amazing. <coughs> and he lived, I think, I think he lived to see the founding of the state. He died in like maybe 1950, 50, around the same time as Rav Meir Barilan. They both, they were, they were contemporaries. So he says, the kids are, Dor Lefi Parnas. Um, he says, we have a phrase, the generation goes according to the leader, Zoe mahutoshal navi ha'emet. If you have a true navi, then the, the nation is following the navi, right? Parnas lefiador. But when the leader is following the generation, zoe mahutoshal navi ha'sheker, right? A navi sheker is thinking, what do the people want to hear? He's listening to what they're saying, and then he says his piece, right? Because he knows what they want to hear, right? I mean, or, navi sheker. Think about uh, politicians, right? Are the politicians there to lead or are they simply looking, what are people saying? So let me find what's popular in this moment for this crowd and I'm going to follow them, right? Which one is it? A true Navi is not following the people. And, and this is something we should realize, which is that Judaism does not put democracy up on a pedestal. We talked about this. We did a whole shir on, on democracy and I'm not anti, we're not anti-democracy, certainly not, right? As Churchill said, it's the worst form of government except for all the others that have been tried, right? Now, which, which one has really not been tried? Right? Malchus, the way that Hashem really wants it, which is the way of David. We basically had it with David and, and Shlomo for part of his time, and we haven't had it since. So we, have, we, we, we did like a 40, 50-year experiment on, on how Malchus really could be done, and it's never been tried again truly in the history of, 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 of mankind. So if we could have such a Malchus, right, that would be something. If we can't, I think I'd rather have democracy, right? So depending on you know, the situation here. But he says, Therefore, in their generations, it was always the Navi Sheker who was popular. Always the false Navi who was popular because he was saying what people wanted to hear, right? But in the next generation, all that's left, right? The only people who are lasting are those who are Nevi'e Emet, the true Nevi'im, right? Who are not following what the people say. Because when, right, when, when the generation passes, when it moves on to a new generation, those who were just followers, right? They called themselves leaders, but they were really following their generation. Well, when that generation becomes irrelevant, they become irrelevant, right? Think about uh, some of the great thinkers of the 1920s, you know, and uh, positivism or all these other isms that I, you know, that I was studying about in college, right? Uh, anybody care what any of them have to say? Not really, right? So whatever was popular in their time, they were just leaders of that. They, 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 those are not people that we remember. It's people who were, were saying unpop- unpopular things because they truly believed it, right? They, were, they weren't necessarily Nevi'im, right? We don't have Nevua anymore, but people who are trying to follow Nevi'e Emet. Right, so, so because once that generation dies, chadal ha-hypnoz ha-chevruti, the hypnotism of that, of, of, the, of, of society, this is so powerful, no? He wrote this 100 years ago. And think about the hypnosis of our time. I actually, I, 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 I went to be the guest speaker at Leiv HaTorah in Beit Shemesh, this past Shabbos. And I, this is, was like my main talk with the, with the guys there about understanding the world that we're living in and the hypnosis of the, of the culture. Right, and how it's so difficult to, to, like, to, to step out of it and to, disagree, and to fight the culture. Right? We don't even realize how much we're sucked in by the culture. Um, it, it's unbelievable, the hypnosis of the culture. A true Navi is able to rise above. A true leader can rise above the hypnosis of the culture. To do, to do his deed, what he needs to do. But real truth, right, will not die with the generation. Real truth, right, will last for all time, right? And, and so I put here, I mean, you don't need me for the Babylon Bee, but, but uh, you know, the idea, this is, I thought was interesting because it's not about Jews. 
um, you know, they have had a lot of good Jewish stuff lately about the Jew detectors in Harvard. Um, you know, they don't have metal detectors, they have Jew detectors. Yeah. You can't go. But, um, you know, but the idea that, and, but this is like a, re, this is a real phenomenon, right? They're the, uh, this is my world of Christians, but when we talk about Christians, we don't even talk about the millions of so-called Christians in much of the country, in much of America, who are called mainline Christians. They're not even part of the calculus. When we talk about Israel, the Jewish people who we're connecting with, we don't even bother with those people because they just follow the culture. It's sort of like, it, it's their version of Reform Judaism, right? They have the same thing among Christianity, right? So this whole shtick here is about churches that just do whatever the culture is doing. Exactly. Somehow, it's exactly the same thing. It's the exact same thing as Reform Judaism. It's, uh, it's really unbelievable. Um, but that's, that's the way of the world, right? And it's always been that way. It didn't start with Reformed Jews in America. This has always been the way of the world with Nevi'e Sheker. Uh, and the truth is, because uh, it's therapy for me, you know, th- this, is what, this is what happened with uh, Black Lives Matter three years ago in America. This is exactly what happened. Um, you know, how many, how many of our Orthodox organizations stood up and called out Black Lives Matter? Even though it was in their charter that they were all in against Israel, in their charter. And they refused to come out and say anything. I reached out to the RCA, to the OU, YU, all of them, they're all to blame, right? But all of them were afraid, didn't say anything, right? The power of cult, right, can't be, right? Everybody was saying that it was good, so it must be good, right? I'm saying this because this is real. This is very, very real. And it's very, very hard for people to, to break away from that, right? That, but that's David HaMelech. The whole world is doing one thing. David HaMelech is, is, is calling out the truth. That's, that is the greatness of David HaMelech. It's not so simple. That's the, that's the leadership that we're looking for. Just to really stuck the point home, because it makes me happy. Number 13, this is uh, Rav Kook criticizing Mizrahi. Okay? And he does so in many places, and I've been collecting all of them just for, just for fun. You see, this is what happens, you know, when you're like a real nerd. You know, you find that you come up with like crazy habits like this, you know, to save all these things. But it's amazing because the, the debates that... Now, Rav Kook loved Mizrahi, don't get me wrong. Mizrahi was religious Zionism, and Rav Kook was also a religious Zionist. They had significant disagreements, and Rav Kook tried to start his own movement. But it doesn't mean that he didn't love Mizrahi. They were very close to his heart, and he supported Mizrahi schools, and he wrote a hundred encouraging letters for every one that he, that he criticized. So it's just because of my negative nature that I'm honing in on the criticism. But I, I just want to be clear. He didn't like, hate Mizrahi, God forbid. But look at his criticism. Deot memutzaot upashraniot. These like middle parv kind of opinions and positions. Sheyesh behen me'ein chulsha gufanit v'rifyon nafshi which are like, a, you know, they, kind of, they reflect a certain physical weakness and a spiritual weakness. You know, the kind of parv middle statements like that all the organizations I just mentioned put out during the Black Lives Matter insanity in the summer of 2020. They put out these kinds of like meaningless statements that nobody really paid attention to, right? Because they had to say something, but they couldn't say what they really thought. So they just sort of put something out about respect and love and diversity or something like that, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Right, exactly. Even, right, you know, so even as there was like, you know, Black Lives Matter rioters are, are burning down Jewish stores in L.A., no, right? They're sending out like these parv emails that don't mention anything about that, right? Now, I'm using this as an example because I don't want to use now as an example because we have to be yachad nenatzeach, right? So now is not a time to cause problems with anybody. But, um, but, but the idea is the same, right? The idea is the same, is that it's so hard to break away from the culture all around us. So it says, Rav Kook, When you're doing something as awesome and important as what we're doing, which is literally the bringing back to life of our nation and the building up of the land of Israel, which we are continuing to this day 100 years later, but in Rav Kook's time, right, this, is, this was not a simple thing. This was not child's play, right? This is Arabs all around trying to kill us, then as now, only we had no army, Right? We were very weak. Right? It was a very dangerous time. No air conditioning. Okay? This was not simple. This was not simple. So at such a time, right? And Hashem is you know, looking down on us with great intensity because this is the Geula. Right? It doesn't matter that 99% of the Jews are still in Russia and these other places and America. Right? 
This is it. Hashem's looking at us right now. It's all in. This moment is what matters more than anything else around the world. We have to come and meet the moment with a great spiritual strength, without fear. We need strong views that are based upon the real sources, right? And are muchlat, decisive, right? And that means if it's based in Torah, and that's what Hashem wants from us, that we don't mess around and we don't say waver and we don't say that, no, don't say that because it'll, it'll insult the diaspora jury or it'll dis- this, this person won't give us enough money. And da, da, da. No, you have to be strong, right? In moments like these, right? This is not a time for wishy-washiness. So that's his poetic and beautiful way of saying, like, this is, this is what will give us life. This is what will give us strength, is clarity, right? And understanding who we are, what we are, what we believe, and then going all in on that. That's who Rav Cook was, right? Now, he had strong views, but he was also such a sweet incredible, loving, kind man that people still loved him, right, of every type, even though he had these very strong views. It is possible to do so without being hated by everyone, right? But in the end of the day, says Rav Cook, you've got to, right, you have to, you have, to have a stand, take a stand in what you believe and stand for it. And that's what he was attacking Mizrahi for. He felt all along that always that was like Mizrahi was apologetic and taking the back seat and not pushing themselves forward, Right. You know, and now we have a lot of the same debates within the religious Zionist world, you know, and then without getting into uh, everybody has their pluses and minuses, but there are some people who are very uncomfortable with like religious Zionists taking a very intense stand, you know, and no longer being like the soft, sweet religious Zionists of the 50s and 60s and 70s, right? The pre-Gushamunim religious Zionists. Which, right, there was a, where they really just fit in with every government and they were always a part of it and everybody, you know, they were like, could be stepped on, but everybody liked them. Now, all of a sudden, the whole world is, scre- the whole world is screaming, the religious Zionists are a bunch of radicals, right? Yeah, okay, so you could maybe believe that it's fine. Everybody's entitled, you know, within religious Zionism, I'm not going to tell anybody what to, you know, we're all going to choose our own uh, views. But, but, I, but I don't think that the fact that they're strong in their beliefs is itself the issue, any issue. Right? It's a question, do you, do you agree with what they're saying or not agree with what they're saying? That's okay. You can debate that. Right? I'm not, uh, again, I'm, I'm no posek and I'm no uh, gadol in any way. So, there's still a certain amount of diplomacy that you have to have when you say you, those views that you struggle with. Right. So, and, and look, we don't have Rav Cook nowadays. But then others would say, like, how long would Rav Cook last in the Knesset? I don't know. But, it was saying, but I'm just putting it out there that these, these, all these issues are not new. And we have to, like, you know, kind of think them through, right? It's, it's, it's um, I don't know, I get attacked also in various, for various things. I get attacked for my views and I get attacked for how I say them, right? And I'm, you know, I'm always, you know, I, I always, because I have a wife, which is healthy, you know, telling me, like, okay, think about what they're saying, you know, I don't know. So I'm thinking, like, <laughs> so I'm pretty confident in the views, but I do have to wonder also, like you're saying, you know, how do I say them? What's the best way to say them? And so on and so forth. Um, but not again, none, none, none of this is new. Um, you know, so in any event, uh, continuing on, because we're going to, I don't want to run out of time. The, 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 we see that these people of Ke'ilah are ingrates, right? They immediately send messengers to Shaul to rat out David's location. Um, and, and, but this is really the, whole, the theme of the chapter, because if you look in the next number 14, the parrot continues. It's the same thing with the Zifim. These Zifim... Right, they they send uh, they send some of their people up to Shaul and give us saying that David is hiding near us, right? Which is you know just 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 crazy, right? So they're, they're it's just a straight up lashon hara, right? And they're they're saying we're, we'll join you. They're just egging Shaul on. They're egging Shaul on. So he blesses them and he and he goes with them, um, you know, to try to find David Amelech. So who are these Zifim? So says the Gemara, number 15, These are men who falsify their words. Right? The whole word zifim comes from ziyuf, right? which is using words for an evil purpose. Right? Shaul is living in a world of lies, a false reality that's been created for him, because he really is, in essence, a good man. But he's living in this false reality created for him by people like the Zifim uh, um, and also by Doeg, 
right? One after another, people come to Shaul to tell him terrible things about David, and they all have their, their reasons for it, uh, maybe self-serving reasons for it. But he doesn't listen to Jonathan, Jonathan, who's not saying that. Right, exactly. The one lone voice in the wilderness, right? Well, this is part of his punishment. It's also a little bit like uh, Lahabdil, like Paro. Once you do a certain amount of evil, at a certain point, Hashem, you know, hardens your heart, so... Once Shaul killed the people of Nov, I, I don't know that Hashem was going to make it easy for him to hear the truth, right? So it says the Al-Kachamoni, this is a very powerful line. Number 16. That once people saw that Shaul was ready to swallow up the Lashon Hara from one person, everybody started coming and saying Lashon Hara. Meaning, right, they saw that he was fair game for Lashon Hara. And these were the things that he wanted to hear because it was confirmation bias, right? And it made him feel angry and good about himself, right? And we can, this is a danger for all of us that we get surrounded by the people, that, the things that we want to hear. Is it fair to call it Lashon Hara? Shaul was not an idiot. And there must have been a Sephara. Ultimately, Tanakh says Shaul was wrong. But there was a Sephara. The devil was a threat to the kingdom. And so defending and telling Shaul where... The, uh, the rebel is, there, there's a case to be made for this, is there not? To say that it's not, meaning that these people honestly and genuinely... Right, so it could be, right? Look, you could say the same thing about Doeg, right? That he was all in, he thought right, that this right. was bad. It could be that only Hashem Which is, I think, that was, we thought the more, per, the, the more persuasive way to understand Doeg is that he thought that he was righteous. He probably did, and right. only through Hashem's uh, writing of the Tanakh, do we know that Doeg was ultimately evil? But who could tell? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're right. I, look, I, it may be that we're just looking back and in judgment and that people have an obligation, right, not to, to assume. <clears throat> we get to Monday... Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback, except that it's not us. It's Chazal, so it's okay, <laughs> right? So we, we can handle that. Um, look, the truth is, see how relevant this is. We are living in a world of falsehood. Um, the truth, I, I didn't put it here, but it's Gemara Sanhedrin uh, 97A or B, where it talks about all the signs of Mashiach coming, right? You got, everybody should learn that. Like that last chapter of, the, of, of Sanhedrin is the best chapter of Gemara, like in, in all of Shas. It's all about the end times. Like you got to read it because we're in the end times just to see these things. But it goes on there about how one of the signs of the end, the major, major sign is how truth, those who speak truth will be called liars and those who are liars will be, right? You say truth. Truth will become like Adarim Adarim, each like flocks. Everybody has their own truth, right? I have my truth. You have your truth, right? It's unbelievable how 21st century that Gemara is. And that, you know, what David Amelech is experiencing here, the whole of Am Yisrael, everybody's turning on David because now it's popular, right? He's just running around with a few hundred men, right? Who's got the upper hand? It's clearly Shaul. So everybody's piling on, right? Everybody's piling on David, right? Think about what's going on here. Shaul tries to kill David and everybody, you know, it's like rioting in, in, in support of Shaul against the evil David, right? They come and they kill us. On October 7th on Simchas Torah, and the whole world's rioting against the evil Jews, right? It's kind of unbelievable, right? But this is what it is. It's a piling on because they feel that the winds of victory are going in that direction and they're going to join in. Um, yeah, exactly right. Um, but I mean, just the world that we're in, we shouldn't forget because the, I, I know October 7th is like blotted away everything beforehand. And in a sense, it should because we're living in a new world. And, if you, and there's the great danger we talked about last week of underreaction, but we shouldn't forget about what happened before, right? I'll never forget. I have like a bloodlust hatred. I'd like to see her like slaughtered in front of me, this Christian Amanpour from CNN, oh, yeah. Yeah. right? Who said, who spoke evil about our friends, about the D family, right? Oh, right, because right? she said it was gunmen, right? I'd like to see her hanged in front of me. I'd like, I'd like to see it. Me, meaning, right, I'm saying, but... but, but and we shouldn't forget because October 7th blotted away everything before. I'm saying that, that kind of rishos, right, that evil where the, the falsehood, right, David Amalek is experiencing that. What he is going through in his craziness on the way to redemption is what our whole people, we are all David Hamelech, right? And the D family was made into David Hamelech. They became David Hamelech in a very real and, and concrete way, right? After, right, their family is slaughtered. Right, just like David's family is slaughtered in Moab because Shaul put them at risk. And after his family gets slaughtered, he gets, they get attacked. And they get bad now. There's no, they deserve to die because they were, 
right? They were uh, rebels against the king. Christiana Amanpour, after, right, a terror that murders the D family. Oh, it was a shootout. These are evil, right? What is she saying? These are evil settlers that had it coming to them, right? So it's the exact same thing. I'm drawing the line because we have to see how a contemporary, right? This is not a book of history, right? And, and that's obviously what we're experiencing now. It's a double war, right? I was talking about this on Shabbos with the guys because uh, it's easy as like an 18-year-old American in Leif Torah to feel like a total loser right now. Right, like guys your age are heroes in Gaza, and you're like, you know, you're just tr- and and you're and you're just trying to read through one line of Gemara, you know, fumble through it because it's the beginning of the year. They don't even know how to learn anything. They don't know how to do anything, right? It's like they feel, you know. So we talked about how there's two wars, right? There's a war against Yishmael, which we're fighting in Gaza and in the north and here as well. We're fighting everywhere, but then there's a war against Esav, and what is the war against Esav? It's a war over truth. Who is Esav? Who is this week's Parsha? Parsha's told us, right? What happens? What did Chazal tell us? That he would come to his father Yitzchak and ask him very frummy questions, right? Do I have to take Meiser on salt? Right? Meaning to show himself, like, you don't take Meiser on salt. Like, I, it's like asking, you know, really, really, really from Chumrah questions to, in order to create an impression that he was a holy man as he's raping women and murdering people along the side, right? As he's doing that, he comes and he comp- shows himself to be righteous and moral, which that is the power of Esav. And that's what we're fighting also. And I said, these boys, you guys need to be warriors, right? Some of you are going to end up being warriors in green and fighting Yishmael. Right? They have a whole Leiv L'Chayal program. It's beautiful there. So a bunch of those guys who are there are getting ready for the army. said, and others of you, you're not off the hook. You're, you have to be warriors for the people of Israel and fight Asaph. Right? And that's, this is what David is experiencing. He's fighting. He has to fight the Plishtim. He's fighting physical battles. But there's a, there's a whole spiritual battle over truth that's happening here in the hills of Yehuda, in the desert of in Midbar Yehuda, as David's running from place to place, he's meeting people. It's hard to hide with 600 men, right? And all the animals and the food, everything that comes along with that. It's an entourage. Everywhere he's going, he has to teach, try to tell these people his truth, the real truth. And yet, what's dominating in the world? It's the falsehood, right? It's the falsehood of Shaul HaMelech. Exactly what, right, we forget. This was not, we put ourselves in David's shoes. He was going from town to town. He had to eat. They had to, they had to go places. They met people. Were these people going to be convinced by David or convinced by Shaul, the dominant culture of falsehood? Right? That's, that's what he's going through. Really, really, I mean, I, I can't get over how relevant this stuff is. It's, it's just, uh, just unbelievable. Um, and, and says, uh, I found this line just as, as I was going through my learning. I don't know who Itai Asman is. I don't know if, if you know who he is. But he said, uh, To my great sorrow, Lo ma'at mehem son imetadat. There, right, there are not so, uh, just a few people who hate religion, who hate Judaism. Just be, right, it's only because of the brainwashing of the, of the, uh, of the media. Right? So that was true here in Israel. Right? The media was really making things much worse than, than, than it was. Right? And we see now that it was really not so bad. That, right, that these people, are, all right, secular religious Jews are dying, dying for each other. Right? So it was really not that bad. And yet the media was whipping it up right, into something that's dominant, creating this culture of hatred against, oh, these religious Jews are trying to turn you know, Israel into Iran. Right? That's, the, that's really what this was. Um, and it's the same thing that we're seeing in, in the broader media of the world today against Am Yisrael. And we have Tehillim. This is Tehillim 54. This is about our chapter, about our parak. When the Zifim came and said to Shaul that David is hiding, you know, is hiding with us, right? And, and he's, all of this Lashon Hara, this evil, this falsehood, right? We don't think about the Zifim all that often, right? This is not, again, this is an easy chapter to skip over. But the truth is, the Zifim is what we're experiencing today. And, what we're, and we all know, any Jew in America today, or any Jew in Europe, certainly anywhere around the world, is feeling this, this terror and this evil of falsehood that's being whipped up against them. Right? And it's worthy of, of a Tehillim. It's worthy of that. Right? The Zifim didn't come against David with swords, but they came against him with falsehood and with lies. Um, and so he says, Shmat filati, hear my, you know, hear my words. Right? It, it's, um, he says, Yashiv hara l'shorirai ba'mitecha hatzmitein. Right? Bring evil to those that lie and wait for me. Destroy them with your truth. Right? Ba'amitecha hatzmitein. Destroy them 
with your truth. Right? Shouldn't we be saying this to Hillam? Right? Every day. We should be saying this every day. It's unbelievable, right? This is what we're living right now. Right now. Um, and, and says in the Medrash, um, the Tehillim says, Amar David Lifnei Kaddish Baruch Hu, David said to Hashem, Ribbono Shalolo, Master of the Universe, Ba Doeg Vikibel Mimenu, right? Doeg came and slandered me, and Shaul accepted it, and, and, and believed it. Boaz Zifim Vishamalahem, the Zifim came, right? And, and he believed it. So Hashem, Shema Tfilati, right? All those people, the whole world's listening to the falsehood and they're believing it. But you, Hashem, please, you know, you owe it to us. Right? Hear our tefillah, hear our prayers. Right? I think we could say the same thing right now. Hear our prayers, Hashem. Right? Everybody, they, the falsehood's got the rest of the world. At least we should get you. Right? amiti. You, Hashem, are real, are truthful. Right? Right? You said you would wreak vengeance upon talebearers and those who pursue to kill. Cut them off. Right? So we know from here that it is a Jewish value to daven for the destruction, not just of the Bnei Yishmael who are trying to kill us, but daven for the destruction of the evil people on Twitter. Right? It's the same, right? We're davening for their destruction. It's daven Melech, straight up, because those words kill. Right? It's not what the Zifim were doing could have led to the death of David and his men. Just like, like the New York Times is worthy of destruction because they brought, right, what they, their lies day after day lead to, right, death. Lead, right, it leads to evil. Right? This is the source. If you're wondering, you need a source for that. Right? Why, that, that you're not a complete lunatic when you're calling for the destruction of the New York Times. Right? Not, not just uh, boycotting. The destruction right? that comes from here. It comes from David Melch. He's davening for it. He's davening for it. Right? It's amazing. Um, destroy our enemies with truth. Okay, so I know it's late, um, and it's probably, probably should stop, but, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, maybe we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pause it here, because it's already 9.02, and I, I've tried to try in general, but uh, there's a lot, maybe we'll, try, maybe we'll pick up a little bit with it next time, um, but uh, this issue of truth is obviously uh, front and center. Right? Something tells me it'll still be front and center next week. Okay, okay. <laughs>